0: You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. So turn to Ephesians 5. I'm going to read this um, ending of Ephesians 5, and this is one of the passages that is often read at weddings. Um, you've probably heard this before. I've, I think I've done like 32 weddings, I've counted, as a pastor, officiated them. Um, and uh, I've read this passage probably more than any others. Um, maybe along with it, the First Corinthians 13 passage about love. But this passage is specifically about husbands and wives. And so listen to what it says. It starts off with, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. And then it says, wives, submit to your husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body. And that's this comparison that we're going to get to in just a second. So pay attention here. Of which he is the Savior. Now, as church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word, and to present himself as a radiant... uh, as as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And then I, sometimes when I'm doing a wedding and I read this passage, I'll look at the the groom, um, the husband, and I will say, so all you have to do is to be like Christ. <laughs> and everybody laughs. Um... But that's our goal. And verse 28 says, In the same ways, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated his own body, but they care for it and feed their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are, uh, let's see, we are members of the body for this reason. And then here's the ending. Here's why I'm reading this passage. Uh, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then this sentence. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So the whole time through this passage, Paul, the author of this passage, is, is talking about husbands and wife. And then he's like, this is a great mystery. I'm really talking about Christ and the church. And so the, the idea here that we're going to talk about as we begin this series on relationships, specifically today we're going to talk about dating, is this goal to, to this when you find someone and, and marry them, your goal is to be like Christ and the church. And that's a profound mystery. And when we do marriage well, when people are married and it looks good, then, well, the, that's like the showing of what Christ and the church are all about. It's a profound mystery, as Paul says. So let's pray this morning. Jesus, we do come before you right now and as we talk about friendships and relationships uh, this month. God, would you be glorified in how we do life together? Would you be glorified in us, your church, your bride, um, doing this well so that it represents you and the church. And that's that profound mystery. God, we just pray that we submit ourselves to you and to your word and what you have to say about this. We love you. We do praise you. And everybody screamed. Amen. So we're starting a series today, and it's kind of... uh, in line with Brady Boyd, is starting a series in Big Church. Uh, it's called Conversations on the Family. And so specifically, we're going to kind of tie in with that. And this month, um, the, actually, the end of today, starting today, and then through October, we are going to talk about Conversations on the Family, relationships. Um, and here's the picture I put on the two little fingers with smiley faces. Oh, how cute, right? Eh. Would you like to hear a story? Okay, there was a pastor at New Life uh, a couple years ago... And um, he was interested in a girl, and this isn't the maybe one of the best ways to meet, um, but he was the pastor, and she was a congregant, and it was kind of scandalous as well, because he was her teacher in uh, the school of worship, and so he taught some classes for the school of worship, and she was in the school of worship, so it was kind of like the student-teacher thing. Everyone say, ooh, ooh. and so they, they were interested in each other, and, uh, and also, uh, to add to the ooh, is that uh, he was seven years older than her. And so it kind of, it's just kind of like this ooh thing, like, oh, is this the right thing to be going on? And she was in the furnace. Anybody remember the furnace? It's now called DLA, missional track. Yay for that! And uh, in that program, you can't date. Or you're not allowed to date. And so this pastor and this girl were like in this friend relationship. Have you ever heard that word? It's like friendship relationship. It's not either. It's uh, kind of like headed that direction. But she couldn't date. And so this pa- they would they would obey all the rules of like no calling, no ever alone time. Um, these Weird rules that, that that you have to do if you if you're told not to date for this season of life, um, and so because of the scandalous nature of the d- teacher student thing, the pastor congregant, the seven years of age difference, the pastor wanted to do everything he could right, and so he asked the father of this girl if he could date her after the program was over. He asked uh, his pastor. He asked his. Um, uh, mentor, he asked um, permission from the director of the school of worship to date this girl, and it kind of took all the scandalousness out of it because it's like, oh, it's covered in this. Uh, it's he asked the father. The father knows he's, he's involved. Uh, his, his friends, his pastor, they're all involved. It kind of really took the scandalous nature out of that uh, relationship, and so on the night uh, she graduated. He, uh, they went on a date that night. (laughs) Uh, It's like the second she graduated, they went on a date. And of course, if you don't know uh, enough about me and Erica, that's our story. Did you know that as I was telling some of the... So that's our story of how we met. There's a picture of us at our wedding, dancing. Um, And so that's kind of our story. And maybe I'll I'll tell some more details of that story later. Um, But we've been married now six years, going on seven. And so pretty cool. So welcome to the Bill Sunday School. If you're new to the Mill Sunday School, we, we usually take topics by month, but today we're starting at one kind of out of that sequence to pair up with Brady's uh, sermon series. And so welcome to Sunday School. And all your tables should be like a little first timer card. And so if you're new and you want us to email you or to call you, we, we could do that. There's a little checkbox for that. Uh, if you want to fill that out and then bring it to the nice people as you leave, we'll give you a little gift baggie. With uh, Brady Boyd wrote a book in there is a CD. If you could travel back to the 90s and find a working CD player. You could listen to that. And um, is anybody anybody with me on that? No? Okay. Anyways, uh, so that's that. If you're new, you could fill out one of those cards. Um, And then the big announcement this time of year, of course, is the Mill Fall Retreat. Who's... So you got to go with us if you're college and 20-somethings. Um, you got to go. Um, it's October 18th, 19th, and 20th. This year we're going to Crooked Creek Ranch, which is in Winter Park. Um, how many of you are planning to go? Oh, look at all the hands. Awesome. So... There's no Sunday school that week, Um, and so on the twentieth that Sunday, because we will be at fall retreat, and um, we would love for you to go. We're calling it "Surprised by Joy" is kind of the theme this year. This idea that uh, maybe when we're—it's not about happiness; it's more about this internal joy, despite life circumstances, whether they're happy or sad circumstances. We as Christians can be filled with joy. Is the theme so? come up with us it's always a tons of fun and a blast and relationships with each other are made um friendships are made uh, a deeper uh relationship with god is always you know people always walk away from retreat saying like oh I, you know this happened to that and that was fun but what really took me away and blew me away was how god entered my world on a new level and so that's that so Let's get started with our sermon series on relationships. Uh, We will talk about friendships as well, but today is about dating. And so what is being said about dating? Well, quite a lot, especially if you're college and you're in your 20s, um, A lot is being said about dating. Tons of people are probably giving you advice. You're probably thinking about it a lot. You're probably uh, wondering about who you're going to find. And if you found someone, are they the one? Um, I I ran into this. uh, You know about TED Talks, these technology and something, something is what it stands for. What does it stand for? TED TED Talks. Um, so this lady, I put this on our, the Mills Sunday School's Facebook site. Um, and so you could watch this video and find it pretty easily. But she asked the question, um, and kind of says, uh, why 30 is not the new 20? And so she talks for 15 minutes about that idea. And it's this really cool, I, I agree with her. And it's this, this cool talk that she gives as a psychiatrist, psychologist, psychologist, um, about, um, why 30 is not the new 20. And she says, she's not a Christian, but she says things, um, like people are wasting their 20s. So if you're in your 20s, you're kind of like, oh, we get married later. We have kids later in life. We die later in life. We have our careers later in life. And so she argues that you should not waste your 20s because her argument is that people will just settle when they're in their 20s. Like, oh, I, you know, I'll I have this career. I'll figure out my career later. I'll figure out relationships and dating and marriage. I'll figure that out later. And so she says that you're just standing there uh, trying to figure things out. And then like, this, like the game Musical Chairs, the music stops. Everyone sits down and you're left standing um, there. And you hit your 30s and you're like, I don't have my life figured out yet. I thought I would do that in my 20s and i haven't and so you'll just settle with whoever you're with and you're you're left standing with the the, someone who you're going to settle with she says don't do that so date well in your 20s find someone don't waste this time is what she says you can watch the video for yourself and I, i thought that was really good advice um out there about dating um there's other things like this book out there talking about dating the worst case scenario survival handbook dating and sex and it has chapters like how to how to determine if your date is a con artist how to determine if your date is married how to determine (laughs) the gender of your date um important things to to be able to do i guess um another book things being said out there about dating is the idiots complete guide to dating and it's always interesting um the first chapter of any of these books says how to use this book and it's like well you must really be an idiot if you don't know how to read a book um but but it says in there um it says (laughs) Bring this book on a date and, and do some of the questions at the end. That uh, is how to use the book, and you'd have to wonder if your date brought this book. You'd have to think: Are, are they, do they think they're an idiot, or do they think you're the idiot? Um, so, anyways, that's lots of lots being said about dating. It seems like everyone and their mom and their dog want to give you advice about dating, and it always is like: Here's what you have to do. This you got to do this. Um, it's like, uh, you know, girls, you have to be this way. Guys, you have to be this way. And some of the advice is good, but it's so, like, I, fi- I feel, I find that it's very dogmatic. Like, you know, don't ever text her. You have to call her. Or if you meet someone and you exchange numbers, you have to wait a day at least before. It's like all these rules that are like, these are the rules. You have to do it like this. Girls, never ask a guy out. Guys, you have to ask the girl out. Uh, girls, if the guy doesn't open the door for you to the car, then break up with him immediately. Um, Like, all these, like, dogmatic rules. And so, I want to ask this question, kind of give you a chance to chit-chat at your tables. The discussion question is, uh, from a Christian standpoint, that's really what's important here, as we are in church and we believe in the Bible, Um, we are Christians. Uh, From a Christian standpoint, what are the views about dating and so talk with the people at your tables get a conversation going they don't have to be your ideas they could be ideas that you've heard so if you're at a smaller table jump on in with a bigger table so you could hear uh and and talk about what are the views about dating maybe some of the rules or some of the things that people say what are the views about dating that maybe you agree with or maybe you don't ready get set discuss all right so have a mic raise your hand if you have something to share it doesn't by the way to kind of free you uh, these ide- Whatever you share, it doesn't have to be your idea. It could just be an idea that's out there. Yes, thank you. Dating is practicing for divorce. <laughs> so you're not a fan. You've kissed dating goodbye? I've read that book. I've read that one too. Uh, this is what my pastor told me in middle uh-huh. school. So. In what, middle school? Yeah. <laughs> that's good advice for middle yeah. schoolers. I- <laughs> Well, the reason why is when people hear this at the beginning, they're, they're like thinking divorce. No, but in actuality, people, they don't come with the right intent. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just dating just to get with someone and then break up with them. Yeah, good. So that's, that's... marriage is not the intent. That's why. Yeah, good. Excellent. What else? What other ideas are out there? Let me get the mic back here. Uh, only date people you think you can marry. Only date people you think you can marry. From a Christian perspective, like just if you're if you're not gonna plan on marrying them, don't date them. That's I hear that sometimes. Well, the scenario for this one is um, if you have a son or daughter and um, they're rebellious in their teens. Uh huh. Um, let me go on really quick. <laughs> um, and you ask them to come home at ten. They come at one in the morning Mm -hmm. and you're trying to talk to them and they won't listen to you, but they love your spouse and your spouse sits down and talks with them. What kind of a person do you want sitting down with your son or daughter? So like looking at it from like a fatherly perspective or a motherly, like who do you want dating your daughter or son? Important decisions like that. Yes. Let me get, I think he had his hand raised first. Two words. I think that we could really... (laughs) really avoid a lot of conflict if we went back to the biblical model. Arranged marriages. Arranged. Wouldn't that be... Some of you are like, yes! Get rid of all this pain and suffering of trying to find someone. After all, our parents know a lot better, I mean, who we're compatible with. But on a serious note, um, a lot of Christians talk about um, chemistry and the world talks about chemistry a lot. And that's really important. But maybe even more important is when the storms of life hit you, can you grab your partner's hand and run through the storm together? Can you put out fires together? Can you fight together? Um, yeah. Are you mature? Because if you could have great chemistry and still, I mean, have big fights and get divorced and be completely immature people. Sure. it's good. Here, I'll give the mic to you. I just, I just think that you have to be careful with yeah. who you decide to date. Because, for example, I've been in relationships where I thought... I wasn't in a relationship I thought that the guy that I was dating was a one. Sure. He broke up with me twice. <laughs> and then because you have to be careful because sometimes they will pull the God card on you and be like, Oh, oh the God, God card. told me this. God told me that. Right. And like,
1: yeah, and you that's think, good. but what
0: about me? What, what right. if God told me this? Something different. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's good. So the God card. Uh, let me run back here. This would be the last one. I think... Whoa! (laughs) Yeah, sorry. I think I think God brings along that person when you least expect it. Like I don't think searching for them is ever the answer because what is our prerogative as Christians not to find a husband or wife? It's to serve the Lord and have that relationship. Good, amen. Yeah, I heard some amens for that. Great. So there's there's maybe we. I've heard. uh, Sorry, that's. I I guess the rule is not to be in front of the speaker when you have a mic, and I'm doing that. So. Let me get back okay so here's here's a continuum you know what a continuum is two sides i'm going to talk about i heard some of this and i heard the other side as well Um, so the first side is something like this one side says you kiss dating goodbye how many of you read this book at some point oh wow look at the hands um (laughs) this book came out in 1997 and to uh share my age. I graduated high school in 96, so this book was really formed. Like, when it came out, it blew up. Everybody's talking about it. Some people disagreed with it. Some people were like, this is the best thing. This is the best dating book ever. And I was given the book by my youth pastor, and I just thought, oh, this is what it has to be. You have to kiss dating goodbye. Um, and, and the book really goes on to say, you shouldn't date. Don't date at all. What you do is something else called courting, if I remember the book correctly. And courting is different than dating. Courting uh, says... You're pretty much just setting yourself up for marriage. Courting is much more intentional. And so you shouldn't date. To get to know someone, you should just get to know someone and then start courting, I think what, what, what Joshua Harris would say. Um, and so there's that side, the side uh, over here that says, um, don't date at all. And then there's the other side that says something like this. Um, this is an ad you've probably seen on your sidebar of the internet for... Uh, a site called christianmingle.com and it says uh jesus is lord let's talk about pulling the god card for an advertisement um christian and single question mark view photos of local christian singles on christian mingle and you click there to browse for free and if uh they're dressed anything like this girl is they just have their swimsuit on and so go (laughs) But the thought behind this approach um, of dating is, is date around, get to know people, practice dating, figure out who you like, who you are going to pair with, and, it, and so the other perspective is date around, get to know each other. Uh, it's perfectly okay to, to find people uh, online even or wherever and, and date them uh, and get to know them, and then the other side would say, no, don't date at all get to know them in other circumstances. Don't take that pressure off. And, um, and so we're, we're kind of down to the question, a very important question. Some of you brought this up. So what does the Bible say about dating? We have different perspectives. We have different thoughts. We have people telling us this and that. Well, what does the Bible say about dating? And you might be quick to answer and say nothing. It doesn't say anything about christianmingle.com. It doesn't say anything about going out to dinner or picking a girl up in a car. It doesn't have any of those things. It doesn't mention those things because the Bible, of course, is an ancient book before cars and restaurants like we now have and uh, the modern approach to dating. But if we just define um, this time of finding a spouse, um, then, of course, the Bible actually has a lot to say about the, the relationships of, of finding a spouse, heading towards having a spouse. And so let's talk about two different um, types of Bible passages. So the first one is this. I want to explain this well so that you're with me here. So we're first going to talk about descriptive, not prescriptive, biblical examples of dating. And I'll t- tell you what that means in a second. And then we're going to go on to talk about the the, the prescriptive Bible verses, Like, here's what dating should be like. But first, I think we need to talk about something. If you read the Bible, and and I really encourage you to read the Bible, there's lots, so many stats out today saying that the Bible is more accessible now than ever because most of us are carrying it around with us everywhere we go on an electronic device. Um, But less and less people, less and less Christians are actually reading the Bible, and so. We're big fans of reading the Bible here Uh, at New Life. We have these Bible reading plans, the mill. If you've ever seen, you could grab one on the way out. All it is is the Bible, every book, every chapter. And you just, as you read the Bible, you just check mark that you read the Bible. Um, And so that's there to help you read through the Bible. Um, But if you read through the Bible, you will see lots of examples, lots of bad examples even of people dating and marriages. There's, of course, more sinners than saints in the Bible because even the saints, so many of them, have these huge flaws. They're sinners, like all of us. Um, and so, we're going to talk about descriptive, not prescriptive, biblical examples of dating. So, like, when I described to you how I found Erica, I wasn't prescribing that. I wasn't saying, oh, well, here's what you need to do. You need to, uh, you need to be a teacher, and you need to date one of your students. <laughs> That's not prescriptive. I was just describing to take a little more scandal out of how we met. I, at the time, I was just a substitute teacher for the school of worship. And and, so it makes it all better, of course. Um, Anyway, um, uh, so descriptive, not prescriptive, biblical examples of dating. We have lots of examples of people finding each other and then getting married. One of the most famous ones is right in the beginning of Genesis is the story of Abraham uh, has a son named Isaac, and he finds a wife for her. He sends this guy out, a servant, to go get a wife for his son. And so this is the picture of uh, the servant bringing Rebecca back to Isaac. And it's kind of an interesting story. And it's not prescriptive. It's not it's like, here's what you have to do if you want to get married. Here's what dating has to look like. You have to hire a guy <laughs> to go out and find a spouse for you. I mean talk about the ultimate wingman. It's like just go just bring her back. And and it's like like the servant goes out, gets Rebecca, like even like pays the the family, um uh his pays her family and then brings her home and there's like no no question about it. It's like here's your wife. It's like, yeah, yeah, duh. Here she is. Um that would be a cool job, don't you think, to like go out and find spouses for people until it didn't work out. And you're like, eh, you know, I don't know. Um but anyways, that it's not prescriptive. It's not how you have to do it. It's just descriptive of what that story was. It's a pretty cool story to read about. Um, the whole idea of the dowry being paid—that's I don't think it's uh, prescriptive. It's descriptive of what the ancient the, what they did in the ancient world. Um, it's not like you know, if you ask a dad, "Can I date your daughter?" and before you answer, here's three hundred bucks that I've been saving up, uh, <laughs> he would just think you're crazy. Like what? Are you kidding me? Get out of here. Um, <clears throat> so it's not prescriptive, it's descriptive. Uh, another good example that people like to often bring up is the example of Ruth and Boaz. <clears throat> and there's a picture, if it looks a little sexually charged, it's because that story kind of, it's, it's an interesting story. If you've read the book of Ruth, um, like she... Pursues him like all out. She gets, uh, she makes sure she's around him. She starts up conversations. She pursues him, and then the story is that at night. <clears throat> so, what if this was your story? Talk about scandalous. Um, he's sleeping outside, and she comes to him at night and basically gets in bed with him. Or it's this Hebrew euphemism for, uh, and it doesn't. And they didn't have sex apparently, according to the text. Um, but it's like this. She, I mean, what if you? What if your story of how you met your spouse was, "Yeah, I was camping, and this girl, she just like slept in my tent." <laughs> <I'm> like, what? <laughs> so it's not a it's not a prescriptive story. It it ends up working out for Ruth and Boaz. But I think we would look at that story and say, that's a description of what happened. And it's the ancient social context, a lot of Hebrew social context of what really happened there. The, the words is, you know, he, she visits him at the threshing floor and she uncovers the, the language is she uncovers his feet. Um, and, and then it's just interesting Hebrew euphemisms of what actually happened there uh, and the social patterns of the day. Interesting. And of course, we can't talk about dating uh, and marriage in the Bible without at least mentioning the fact of plural wives, uh, polygamy, one man, lots of wives. Um, I often hear people talk about, well, a biblical marriage is this, this, and this. And it's like, (laughs) well, like if you read the Bible, you have to at least come to this conclusion of the Old Testament being, gosh, there's so many examples of this polygamy. Now, is is that for today? I would say no. Um, is that what God has best intended? I'd say no. I mean, there's so many examples of of uh, clearly people making mistakes and choosing multiple wives. Abraham and Hagar. It's like that was he did that. It's a description. It's but it's not a prescription. God was pretty uh, not happy with that. Uh, uh, God was not happy with S- Solomon and all his wives. They led him to destruction. That was not good. Um, so even in the c- context of the Old Testament. I think it's more descriptive than prescriptive. Then you get to the New Testament. There's no examples in a good way of polygamy. And actually three verses of Paul, three separate verses saying, if you want to be in leadership over a church, an elder, a deacon, uh, then you must be the husband of but one wife. And so the, this this prescription of one wife. Um, and so, But we can't ignore that uh, if, if we're looking at biblical examples of dating. Um, we have to look at things like this. Um, it's, uh, what passage is this? D- Judges 21, um, basically there's these, this idea of how to get these wives, and so they say, someone comes up with the genius idea of, okay, these girls usually come out and, and work in the vineyard, so when they come out, all the guys, you could just go get one and have a wife and bring her home. That's a description of what happened. That's not prescription of, like, here's what you're supposed to do. Here's how dating works. You just wait till a girl shows up at work, and you you just get her. Like, go kidnap her. No, that's not prescription. That's a description. Um, And then the last example. um, This gets a little more serious. Um, This idea in the Old Testament uh, of—it's pretty clear in the law that um, if you had sex outside of marriage— You were to be stoned to death, killed. Um, That that was like if the verse is Deuteronomy twenty two, twenty two. If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both who slept with her and the woman must die. Purge the evil from Israel. That's a description of what happened then. And the the prescription with the, the context of the whole Bible is, of course, that Jesus comes. And Jesus is put in that exact situation. A woman who is caught in adultery is before her. And the, the, the Pharisees say, what should we do? And Jesus says, well, let's not do that what the Old Testament says to do. Let's, you know, he says something along the lines of, well, whoever is without sin can cast the first stone. And he spares her life. And so the law was fulfilled or... Uh, just a new way of doing things, and life is made. So the prescription is uh, for today not to kill someone who has committed adultery. But then it goes on in the Old Testament to talk about this, and this is a very humbling passage, a very interesting passage, passage I've never heard talked about or even read in church. Um, and it says this, if a, if a man, uh, let's see, happens to meet, this is Deuteronomy twenty two twenty five. if a man happens to meet a young woman, pledged to be married um, and rapes her, then the man who has done this shall die. The death penalty for a man who forcibly has sex with a woman who is pledged to be married to someone else. She's not married to someone else, but she's pledged to be. She's engaged. Or uh, so often in the Old Testament culture, uh, people were uh, uh, engaged to be married. Their parents would arrange that marriage from the time that they were kids. Um, And so... That's what's to happen. That's the punishment. And then it goes on to say this, and this is very interesting, and I, I want to hopefully reflect on it well. It says this If a man happens to meet a virgin who is not pledged to be married, so she's, for whatever reason, she's not pledged to be married, and, and he forcibly has sex with her, and they are discovered, he shall do this pay the father 50 shekels of silver, and he must marry the young woman, for he's violated her, and he can never divorce her as long as he lives. It's a very hard passage. Um, a passage that doesn't seem to take the side of the woman uh, at all. And I would have to say that uh, here we are living in 2013, looking back in in an ancient world where, unfortunately, the description at that time was that women were like property. Uh, If a woman was not married and she got older, she couldn't just go out and get a job at Starbucks. It was probably a good... uh, Probably... um, the fact that if she didn't get married, she could starve to death. She couldn't find work. She didn't have people taking care of her. And that's a very different world than we live in today. And this idea that that sex, um, if, if sex in this circumstance, circumstance seems to be like the covenant starting thing. They are to get married and they are to never get divorced so long as they both live. And this idea... Going into the New Testament, and here's the, uh, a painting of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery, and we know the story. If you've been going to church, you, it's a pretty popular story that Jesus um, says, "No, we, we won't kill this woman here today. In fact, whoever is without sin can throw the first stone." And of course, Jesus was without, without sin, and he didn't throw the first stone to kill this woman. This idea that 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 sex is so important, and and in of course is. To be in marriage only. So here's, here's the other side of these verses. Um, the prescriptive biblical examples of dating. And so we're leading into now these verses that here's... We've looked at some, some stories in the Old Testament specifically where it's just a description of what happened and the dating that happened and how they found each other. But let's look now at some of the prescriptive examples. Uh, biblical examples of dating, and we're going to try to balance some of them. So the first thing we have to come to and talk about is, of course, Paul writing and saying, if you're single, don't get married. 1 Corinthians 7, 8 says, To the unmarried and to the widows that were married and lost a spouse, um, it's good for them to stay unmarried as I do. It's interesting dating advice, don't you think? Uh, And it's Paul saying, here's what I say. Um, Stay unmarried. Don't get married. He goes on to say... It' uh, a person who is not married is concerned for the Lord. People that are married are concerned for each other, could do work for the Lord. And we, of course, we have to balance that prescription. So Paul just says, stay single. You're wondering about dating? Kiss it goodbye. Don't even date. Don't even get married. <laughs> but we, of course, we have to balance that with, um, here's a picture of the Garden of Eden. God says, it's not good for a man to be alone. Genesis 2.18. And of course, he makes woman He says, it's good. This is a good thing for a man and a woman to find each other. This is how you to populate the earth. Um, and so how do we balance that of what Paul said? It's better to stay single with well, go populate the earth. It's good. It's not good for a man to be alone. And then Paul goes on in that same passage where Paul says that. He says something about um, if you cannot control yourselves, <laughs> then you should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. <laughs> that's in the Bible. That's what it says. Um, so Paul says, don't get married. But if you're, if you're, if that's all you could think about. <laughs> and you're burning with passion. Well, then it's better to marry. Um, and, and then, of course, the, the, the same author, Paul, says in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, for th- this is the will of God your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to control your own bodies in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. This idea of, of course, sex is for marriage only, and if you are burning, well, then you can get married. You should get married, but do not commit sexual immorality. And so, um, so there's that. There's a couple different verses there. There's other verses. Here's a Jewish bride. Proverbs 18.22 says, he who finds a wife finds a, a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. But then we balance that with Proverbs 31.10. The fact is it's hard to find a good wife because she is worth more than rubies. So it's like, well, yeah, it's most of you are like, yeah, it is hard. It's hard, it stinks sometimes trying to find a spouse. It's hard, but it's a good thing when it, when it happens. And then we have to, well, well, then who do you find? And Paul has some things to say about that. In 2 Corinthians 6, uh, 14, he says, "'Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, "'for what partnership has there with righteousness and lawlessness, "'or what fellowship is there with light and darkness?' And so this idea of like, well, who do you find to marry? Well, well, don't be unequally yoked. You've probably heard that before, especially if you've ever tried missionary dating. You know what that is? It's when you date someone who's not a Christian in order to convert them. <laughs> not a good idea. And Paul says, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Um, it's, it's a, I, I guess a good word would be it's a dangerous thing to do to uh, hang out. Have a friend relationship or a relationship that would lead to marriage with a non-believer. And yet Paul says, if you find yourself in one of these relationships, you find yourself married to a non-believer, well then what are you supposed to do? Call it off? Get a divorce? Paul says no. 1 Corinthians uh, 7, starting in like 36, um, do not get... is. is, is if let's see what it says, uh, the man who has settled the matter. Oh, wait, I'm looking at the wrong verse. Sorry. Um, oh wait, there we go. No, wait, uh, struggling with my notes. Anyways, basically it says, if you're, if you're married to someone who is not believe, not a believer, do not get divorced. Um, stay with that person. Um, and, and this is interesting. It was like, well, don't get married to a believer. but if you find yourself within that covenant of marriage, is a covenant for life it cannot be broken even if the partner is unbelieving um and then what about engagement there's there's um a little bit paul says about being engaged he says if you are engaged and you want to get married uh, i guess that would be why you'd be engaged <laughs> um but maybe not maybe in the culture in ancient world where there's arranged marriages someone could arrange a marriage for you and you didn't want to get married uh to that person paul says that's okay you can you can break up with that person, or you can marry that person. And if you have any doubts about it, uh, if you've not made up your mind, then it is okay to break up with that person. Um, and and Paul says that's a good thing to do. And so some of you might need to hear that. Like oh, if you're you're dating or on your way to engagement or in, in an engagement, and you're like I just don't know. Um, it is okay. It might. It, and Paul even calls it a good thing to be to. Break off that engagement. Because as soon as you are married, as soon as that covenant is made, you're one flesh. And to to talk about the the verse that we read, to go back, to kind of conclude right now, the Ephesians 5.13, that for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united with his wife, the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. So this idea of of marriage... um, and this covenant that we often symbolize with rings in our culture today. um, This idea of coming together as a man and and woman leave their parents and be united with each other, it's for life. And of course it's for life because just like the covenant that is between God and the church is forever. It's for life. Um, And so... um, we, as Christians, when we get married, we are showing the world, and I often say this when I perform weddings as a pastor, that the world needs to see good examples of marriage being done. And so the, the steps to that, to that marriage, are, of course, we often call dating, finding someone, finding a spouse. And we need to do that well. And We, in this room, are going to be hearing messages about that, and then friendships as well, this whole series, um, about finding each other well, and of course, abstaining from sex. I mean, if one thing is said over and over and over again in the Bible, prescriptive, it's this idea that, you know, you don't commit sexual immorality, that that marriage is this place where sex happens, and that is a very good thing. But outside of that, it is not right. It, it, it shouldn't happen. It's called immorality. First Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee from it. Flee from fornication. Every other sin a man does is outside his body, but that which he commits um, is, is sinning against his own body. Um, and so that's this big thing that I think we have to see as a prescription over and over and over again in the context of the Bible, this prescription of, of abstaining from sex, Waiting until marriage, in marriage, that that is this relationship on earth as it is seen in heaven as this beautiful thing like Christ and the church. And so let's end a little early uh, this morning. I'm going to pray for us. Um, you can continue some of these conversations at your table. But let's go before the Lord and just say, God, we come before you with every part of our life. We come before you, those of us that are married, with our marriages. Those of us that are single, we come to you with our singleness and God, we say, we want you to be God over our, in our singleness, that, that this very important thing that happens of finding a spouse, that you will be God of that portion of our life. And as we continue to talk about these things, this, this month, this series of Sunday school, God, we give it over to you. God, we, we say that in you, we found everything. In you, we've found uh, life and fullness. We don't need another person to fulfill that, but, but God, we, if, we, if that is your desire for us, we receive it, and we give it over to you as you are God over everything. You are God over marriages. You are God over dating. You are God over finding a spouse. We love you, Jesus. We praise your holy name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.